Today on Sexually Woke with Dr. Susan, I'm talking with Mary Jo Rapini, practicing psychotherapist specializing in relationship and sexual therapy, as well as an author, speaker, YouTuber, and regular guest on Fox TV. Hi, and thanks for joining me on this week's episode of Sexually Woke with me, Dr. Susan. Today, I'm joined with Mary Jo Rapini, who is not only a great friend, but she's an amazing practicing psychotherapist here in Houston, also an author and speaker. She regularly appears on Fox News as an expert in sexual wellness and relationship health. Her mission is to build and encourage healthy, strong relationships, beginning with the most important relationship of all, the one with yourself. And that so resonates with me. I absolutely love it. Every relationship you will ever have depends on your ability to understand and get along with yourself. Welcome, Mary Jo. Hey, it's really great being here with you today. Well, we've been talking regularly throughout this whole pandemic mess and just both experiencing the ways that it's affected relationships. So I'm coming at it from a slightly different perspective as a gynecologist, and then you're seeing your side of it uh, as a psychotherapist uh, specializing in relationships and especially sexual relationships. So let's start by talking about your practice. Like what is it that you do and what is it that you offer people? Because I just don't think most people know that that's even out there. Right. Most of my practice is with, um, I work a lot with men because I work a lot with urologists in the city. And so they refer the guys. And many times the guys are stuck in this place where, you know, they really don't know. They're frustrated with dating. Some of them have been divorced. They're disillusioned with relationships. They're disillusioned now with all the everything happening in the world. And we're seeing a real shift in the dynamics, whereas it seems like women, you know, women are better at networking and those skills are really being helpful during this time because women are still getting out with friends. They may not be meeting up, but they seem to be much more proactive in communicating you know, with videos and, and dating again and getting to know people. So it's very curious what I'm seeing in relationships. It seems like for the dating world, this may have been a perk, the whole pandemic thing, because you've had to take longer to get to know someone before you really meet them. Hmm. Whereas I think in marriages and relationships where you used to be so busy that you avoided a lot of the intricate, maybe the more challenging issues, you maybe swept them under the rug and now they're smack dab in your that's face. That's right. You can't get away from it when that's in you your can. house. Wow, there's so many juicy things in there that I can't <laughs> wait to get into. First of all, I didn't know this about you that you saw a lot of men. And so I live in just all women's world. And right. I, I know very little about men, but I think that's so fascinating that this has affected men differently than women. And so I want to talk about that a little bit more. So these men are coming to you uh, referred maybe because of ED or other issues I'm hearing. Right. How fascinating is that? That, you know, I got so wrapped up, I guess, I'm just thinking out loud in how this is affecting women that I really didn't think about that. So you're right, guys are probably, this is very sexist, but maybe they are less apt to go out and have uh, friend groups and, and you know, we have our women's circles and all these wonderful things. And guys might feel even worse than we do. Wow, I never thought of that. Yeah, I think a lot of guys are really struggling right now because, you know, women are changing. We're actively changing in how we work and how we network. And the pandemic has been terrible, I think, for working moms because a lot of the responsibility has been on their shoulder. But I think for men, because in the past, they relied more on women to kind of set the tone to do the work, if you will, of the relationship, because relationships mean a lot to women. It's how we network. It's one of our power sources. I think women are less likely to take that on now, especially in the dating world. And they don't have to worry because nobody's really getting together anymore. So they, women are more comfortable taking their time. And, and whereas men have always relied on usually one woman, especially dating, now those dynamics have really changed because mm. I, I feel like women 
are starting to have more choices, especially in the dating world. That is fascinating. And we don't talk a lot about dating. I should do that more. Um, you know, on the Sexually Woke podcast, we're talking mostly about things that happen when we're 45 to 55. But actually, dating happens a lot in this age group because it's frequently when we are have ended our first marriage and perhaps renegotiating our relationships and looking for other sources of relationship or, you know, all these things that happen in midlife. And so we do find ourselves out there dating. And that's actually even happened to me. So what, what are you seeing? You've told us a couple of things, but what are you seeing in the dating world for both men and women? You said, um, you know, it's slowed down a little bit. You can't, it's not so easy just to meet people and go out to dinner because of obvious reasons. Uh, right. How do men and women react differently to that? Well, I, I want to get to that, but first I want to say, Susan, you're so right. I mean, the, the work that you're doing specializing in with menopause and as women's body changes, that's the biggest group right now dating because, you know, a lot of people get divorced or things happen in midlife. They were never married. Maybe they were cohabitating. And it's interesting because it's more difficult as you get older and you're dating because you're no longer willing to just put up with stuff. I think when you're young, you have this idea, you know, your trust has never been broken. You've, you believe people when you have, you know, when you've been divorced or you've been through something traumatic, you start really thinking, okay, I'm going to, if I do end up with this person, I'm going to make sure I don't settle. I'm, I'm going to be a, more aware of the signs. Yeah. And I think when this group goes out to date, they're much more aware of the psychological components than they've ever been before. And of course, the medical things too, like, you know, for women, am I, how does my body look? Am I going to be, there's a lot of pressure there. Am I going to be you know, successful at being able to achieve orgasm. Many women have trouble with sex. They may have painful sex. They may have lost their libido. And I think just understanding men, their penis doesn't work the same way as it used to work. They Men don't have as many body concerns, especially if a woman is accepting of them, but they are concerned as well about you know, do I want to settle down? And how do I get a date at this age? I think men are not as good or as equipped about sharing what's happening out there. You know, they're, they're more likely to just hook up superficially with several people versus, you know, really getting involved with one person and making it intimate and connected the way women are. Yeah, that is fascinating. And so how do we date right now in COVID times? Are people meeting online or how, how do relationships develop? Have you seen a trend? Well, I think a, there's a lot of Zooming. There's a lot of new apps out with, you know, they will do the work of kind of scrolling through. I know a lot of women are using Bumble because that gives them the opportunity. More than anything, where couples are meeting up, it seems like, is with, are with a dating app. And what I'm really seeing is that they take their time more. Older couples usually take their time more dating anyway, because as I said, they, they're not in a hurry. They've been through this, right? And they don't seem as um, urgent about it. They're more concerned they're gonna get hurt again, or they're gonna end up you know, hurting their children. Many of them are taking children into a new relationship with them as well. Yeah, it gets so, so complicated, I, doesn't it? And uh, it does, you know. And not to be pessimistic, because this whole thing that I'm doing is about the optimism of this amazing second half of life. And so it is so optimistic. And I'm I'm not so optimistic that people are still dating. First of all, in in COVID, so that's mm -hmm. great. And then yeah. also, um, you know, I just love this idea of having a little bit more empathy and understanding about what men go through. Cause I can tell you, I probably had zero of that, like working around women my whole life and mm -hmm. in my uh, marriage that for 18 years that ended, I don't think I thought much about how any of this affected him. I, you know, and again, this isn't good. I mean, I'm just sort of being very honest that now being a little bit more wise, I just think it's incredible that women like you are working with men and that they are vulnerable enough to open up and talk to you. Mm -hmm. uh, so 
how's you know? So if you guys haven't seen Mary Jo on uh, Fox News or everywhere else, she's this gorgeous petite woman, and like, how does that work? Like, man, well, of course you're married, and I just I don't know. Well, you know, I think men, when you are really a good, when you will listen to them and not judge them, I think they are more more ready to open up. I, you know, it's interesting in a relationship, the woman has a lot of power um, in most relationships. I think because she is the one managing most of what's going on. So in a sense, when men end up going through a divorce or anything, they usually at first they're, they're lost and they're scared. And that's unacceptable for a man. A man cannot express fear. So what they can express is anger. And that's a lot of the problem when we see terrible divorces or divorces where the male will, the father, for example, will go after the mother and use all, use the kids as pawns or say hurtful things. It's usually a fear that they don't know how to express or haven't been able to express. And you'll see a lot of that in the bedroom. It's harder for men to be vulnerable because even though women may feel less, more awkward talking about their body and talking about what they want from sex, men are much more uncomfortable talking about their vulnerabilities. A woman will tell you, you know, I, I feel bad about my body or I don't want the lights on. And because men don't seem to be affected by that. You know, most men have a much better self-esteem about their body, even if they're overweight. And and if a woman was in that body, she would be very self-critical, mm, but they don't do that. So I think there's a lesson in there too, that we can learn from men. Yeah. So that is fascinating, the different, there's so many, you know, since back when we knew that men were from Mars and women were from yeah. Venus or whatever that book was. Yeah. Yeah. Just the differences are so profound. And in this particular time, it sounds like what you're seeing is that this is all of this uncertainty and change is really tough for men because they are not good with vulnerability and have all, you know, wanting to be strong and always know the right thing to do. This must be a really hard time. So we can throw out a little bit of love and compassion for those guys, ladies and, um, because we sometimes don't do that. I'm talking about myself. Um, but so for women, um, it sounds like your experience is that women are usually leading the speed of the relationship if you're dating and it grows and men are, you know, maybe just waiting for that to happen. Yeah. Although I don't think women are aware of their power, Susan. And mm. this is something you and I have talked about a lot of times. I I think women hold back in our society. There's this thing like, I want him to ask first. You know, I, I want him to initiate. I want him to make the first move. But, you know, it's interesting when I see couples in my office, it's, it's obvious to me that she has a lot of the control about what is happening in the relationship, unless there's been big issues pushed under the rug and he's already gone through, like he, he no longer is able to express his hurt and he's gone right on to the emotion of anger. When you start feeling anger, it helps you in a way it's a defense mechanism. It helps you move on. And it, what it does is it limits your ability to be honest and to be open and vulnerable. And so you rarely get that chance. Yeah, and that is so true. And uh, actually, we were talking about this in our women's circle just a couple of days ago about uh, anger mm-hmm. and ex- feeling it as a healthy emotion, but allowing it to pass through because it is, in my experience as a human being, an expression of either fear or sadness. And that soft mm-hmm. underside to anger, if we can tap into it, becomes a much more likely place that we can communicate with each other honestly. But yeah, yeah I, I've totally been there myself. My marriage ended very badly with a very angry um, ex-husband who I agree was probably just terrified, not able to express it. And uh, seeing him like that, just in my personal experience, is a much softer way to approach any type of healing we could have in the future. And Mm -hmm. so that's a great reminder, I think, for all of us that, you know, there's something underneath anger that is much softer if we can 
tap into that. And it, to me, it represents some kind of suffering. And I always say the, I didn't make this up, but I always remember the appropriate response to suffering is compassion. So, you know, that's a tough thing to do, to be compassionate to someone who's throwing anger at you, but um, it's generally more, well, more helpful. You, <laughs> yes. And for yourself too, Susan, I mm-hmm. think so many times when someone's throwing anger at us, what we do is even if we get defensive and give it back to them, there's a part of us that holds on to it, especially in a relationship. Because let's face it, when you're with someone who later turns on you or betrays you or you're breaking off with them, basically, this was a person that was closest to you. And so it's impossible not to take in some of what they say and punish yourself with that. And I think having awareness that, no, I'm not going to do this. This is a time that I really need to take care of myself. I need to give myself more warm fuzzies and, and I need to pamper myself more. And this has really been my message to couples during this time, because I think there is more conflict with couples who have been married together. And I've seen it in my own marriage. And rather than us fighting and, you know, getting worse and worse in conflict. I'm trying more to take one day a week. And I'm like, we're celebrating tonight. And many times my husband will just laugh. What are we celebrating tonight? And I don't care what it is. I will pick up something just so that we can be like, we're in a celebratory mood where we're trying to enjoy each other because it's been tough. I mean, we've both been you know, we're helping people as you are too. And you hear a lot of sad stuff. And, you know, you can't take that in without feeling some of it and projecting that on into your relationship with your partner. Yeah. And that's such a, what a great habit that would be if we all could do that. And, you know, we talked about that, um, in terms of date night and all kinds of other like intentional practices to keep the relationship together. But I love that idea of just remembering that we are celebrating. So right. think about some way to bring that into your relationship. And then just coming back to this, there's two things that you mentioned actually, and Mary Jo and I have talked about these two things before um, in the study that I did that led to my book, Sexually Woke, that apart from hormonal change, the two things that were the biggest deal breakers for sexual intimacy were resentment, which I put in the anger category, just unspoken anger, and then body image issues. And you touched on both of those two. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's really interesting how women express those. And what your experience I'm hearing is that men probably wouldn't have the same list of those two things being the biggest libido killers, resentment and body image issues. What do you think the biggest libido killers are for men, if that's even possible? Can, can I we... <laughs> think rejection oh, and yeah. I mm-hmm. think feeling disrespected. Mm. And I think men do feel disrespected when um, they're talked over by their partner or when their partner dismisses them. I, this is one thing that when I've talked with you and, you know, we see patients together, I'm like, this is, this is where it's married so well, what we do together, because you know, women are feeling bad about their body and they're feeling anger or resentment. And so when their partner comes to them for sex, because many times the the intimacy, they don't have the emotional connection, but the men still want the sexual physical connection. And if women are, you know, have no libido due to um, resentment or whatever, and they reject the man, I think that's his biggest libido killer. Mm. And I've had men that say, I, I got rejected so much, it doesn't work anymore. Well, I it can't, just, I can't they, blame they have, them. Yeah. I mean, if I, I'm thinking about, gosh, if I was rejected multiple times, I would not reach out for it again. I'm probably only take once or twice. I mean, because that's such a vulnerable position to put ourselves in to, mm-hmm. uh, to ask for sex and then to be turned down. I mean, my goodness, that doesn't happen to women as often, but yeah, that's a, that is a tough situation. And, but it's happening all the time. And so from my practice viewpoint, I see it all the time when women are in perimenopause and we 
lose our libido, which since you guys have been following me, if you're listening to this, we know that that happens to most women in midlife that we lose our libido. And in as much as that leads us to reject our partners, I mean, it really is a, a crisis for, for yes. them, not only for us. I mean, we're experiencing the pain of losing our feelings of sexuality and our bodies are changing and all this myriad of things that are happening to us. But yeah, I'm just really in touch with how that must affect our partners if we have a heterosexual relationship or and any what about gay relationships is it is that different gay relationships are are a little bit different in that the gay well the uh, men that are gay what they do is they have different levels of monogamy so i think in a sense that may help them not not be you know usually in heterosexuals monogamy is monogamy and that means you're faithful you you don't have sex with anybody else but i think if you have different levels of monogamy maybe there's not as much pressure on that one person and so it may be a little bit less with women i um lesbians i believe they're pretty much the same as and i do, i mean i can't generalize them but most of the lesbians i work with say no monogamy is monogamy like mm. we are together and it puts a little bit more pressure but women are much better at processing with their partner when it's a same sex relationship because they can they're vulnerable right away usually because they do share body parts and they're both resentful usually mm. if one has a low libido the other one usually does too and feels some of that resentment yeah, I mean, I, that would make sense just being a woman if I had a female partner that they would at least understand what I got because they're going through the same right. thing. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. That could, that could I, be I helpful. Susan, I think it's so important. And I think restoring women's ability to own their sexuality and to want sex and to be able to understand. That's not something they do for their partner. It's something they do for themselves because part of that resentment and part of that rejection that women tell their husbands no is because they're punishing them. They want them to hurt as much as they hurt. But you know that never works. Whereas if you can own your own sexuality and you say, I'm going to have sex for me. So even though you and I are not emotionally connected, if I need sex, I will have sex, but that, but we can't avoid the emotional connection and continue this relationship. Yeah, that wouldn't work for me. That was what I did in my 20s, but yeah, as we've matured, I'm not interested in that kind of sex anymore. I can do that by myself. Yeah. You know, if I just want to have an orgasm, I can do that really easily. I don't exactly. need to involve another person. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, but that, they don't, you know, mm -hmm. the most of the women we work with, um, they, they won't masturbate or they're, they're reluctant to masturbate. And that's why what we, what we do, especially what you do is so important because educating them and giving them treatments so that they can feel that confidence, that sexual confidence changes the whole dynamics of what they've got going on with their partner. Well, and going Whether or not it works. I mean, that's not up to, you know, how, how you enjoy your sex life. Yeah. So and that's so true. And going back to your mission and, and you and I share this really deep understanding that the relationship with yourself is like the most important. It's uh, you, we can't jump over that and be in a healthy right. relationship with another person. In the sexuality world, in my book, the knowing yourself first part was much more than about sex, but also part of it was about knowing our own bodies and being able to self-pleasure. And I can't tell you what a difference that made to me. I mean, I've been self-pleasuring since I was a teenager, but like really understanding my body and learning my anatomy. And you'd think as a gynecologist, we would all know this, but we really don't. And no. Playing with toys and I, you know, learning how to communicate that to somebody else. Yeah, all of that is so tied together with what you're doing, I think. And so Mary Jo and I um, kind of apply this from different directions, but you've gathered from the conversation so far, we frequently work with the same people. So I might be 
helping with hormone um, optimization and some of the other things we can do to help with blood flow. And Mary Jo is working with the psychological aspect. And we always say your, your biggest sex organ is your brain, for sure, because I can give you the fanciest vagina in the whole world and it's not going to work if your brain is not into it, right? Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, these things have to go together. So um, if you're in a place where you're experiencing some difficulty with relationship or sexuality, you know, really coming up with some kind of combination of medical intervention and uh, psychotherapeutic in- intervention is just a, a beautiful thing. So, um, so what I've heard from what you're saying, and I hadn't thought about this before, so tell me if I got you correctly. There's the dating world, and you're you're experiencing some issues that have changed during COVID in the dating world, which is mm-hmm. fascinating because I hadn't really thought about that. Maybe moving slower than it used to, and then on the other, so there's more of a sort of, I don't know, I'm feeling sort of a desire. Gosh, I I wish it could go faster, but now COVID's slowing things down. And then in committed relationships, we've kind of got the opposite where it's like, oh, too much. Like I'm seeing you every single day and I wish she would just go away. So, and I've, you know, I, I, I get more of the second part because I'm working mostly with women who are in relationships and struggling a lot with this past year where we've been spending more time together than we planned or have fewer financial resources to go on vacations or leave, yeah. the, leave the house to go to work and the things that gave us our separate identities. How does that show up in your world? Well, I think what ends up happening is a lot of the couples that I'm working with right now need to basically learn to communicate differently. They need to make, um, Susan, you and I did a uh, podcast or a series on a checklist for couples going through, like I I think the way couples in the past have always communicated is not going to work now because you see a person 24 seven, but we understand that that does not mean that that's quality time. You say, well, we're always together. That's not necessarily a good time because for sex and for love to really feel good, you need that tension. You need that space. You each need a your own space you can retreat to. You need your own time away. You need your own interests. And so I'm working a lot with couples reestablishing space in their relationship, reestablishing time for themselves. What's their passion? What do they like to do? Maybe for one of you, it's a, you know, Bible study or, you know, a Jungarian study somewhere. For others of you, it's taking piano lessons or guitar, whatever you're into, you need to continue those things. You you know, whether you do it virtually or you do it uh, in person, that's good for your mental health. And I, you know, I'm a real advocate for, you know, social distancing, six feet, wearing a mask, but still progressing with your life and your interests. Because I hate people to be so afraid of this virus that they quit living because the virus will eventually be assimilated and we will basically have an immunity of vaccine. But if you've lost a whole year of life, you're gonna end up feeling resentful, bitter. You, You may end up feeling angry. You may look for someone to place that anger on. We see a lot of that in the political party right now, depending on what side you're on. So I'm really encouraging couples to make those date nights again, but yet allow each other that space they need so that they can keep that friction, that tension going within relationship. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting idea that um, sexuality does, or sexual desire, like that sex drive aspect, does have an element, now I'm thinking about it, of a little bit of tension, which does require some separation. If I'm with someone all day long, you know, I might love them more than anything, but, you know, we're never going to develop that kind of yearning to be together that we have when we're separated. And Mm -hmm. in situations, I think it's getting better now. I mean, more people are returning to work and things like that. But uh, myself personally, when I've had long periods of uh, working from home, you know, I stopped putting clothes on, I stopped putting makeup on, I'm starting to look, you know, not take such good care of myself. I'm probably not quite so sexy and guys are doing the same thing, just sort of 
ignoring their self-care and walking around in pajamas all day. Um, I think a lot of people have been doing that. And I'm all for, I, actually, another guest I had was talking about how some beauty trends had changed and actually fashion and hair and other things like that are starting to change to a more casual look, probably because of this pandemic, which is great and healthy. But I think we can go a bit far with that too. And, mm-hmm. you know, yes, it, you know, sex and love are not about external appearance altogether, but there is something about, for me, making myself look beautiful and feel beautiful that makes me feel more sexy. Yes. And when I'm sitting around in pajamas and like my sweats with holes in them, you know, on, on Zoom calls, you know, it's not very sexy. Right, right. Yeah, and I, I think even this, even the, um, you know, I think you and I are both self-disciplined, Susan, and I'm a, I'm a very disciplined person. And just letting myself not be disciplined by fixing my hair or letting myself go, I get less and less confident in my skills. And I also start noticing that I don't desire, I mean, I don't desire my husband to the same extent because I'm not motivated. Self-discipline and having a schedule and a routine and a reason, like a passion, something you're going out and you want to keep that nice, you want to look nice. You want to play the part. That's extremely important to us. And I think for many of us, we've kind of forgotten. We we like the laziness of working from home, but enough already. I mean, yeah. yes, yeah. we still have to be careful with the virus, but you can be careful and still get fixed up and wear a mask and go out and be aware of who's around you, stay out of big crowds, but at the same time, do continue socializing and enjoying people because that feeds us. We need that. Yeah, we really do. And I actually had this experience recently that that really resonated with me uh, as two women who are very disciplined and a lot of uh, listeners are too. And I went through some months, you know, about a year ago when I really felt a lack of discipline. I was drinking more than usual. You know, I wasn't mm-hmm. putting on makeup. I wasn't caring about the things that I used to. And, you know, the gym was closed and all these things that we went through and they're still happening. Um, but I would periodically just have a, okay, enough moment and go out and buy, like I did actually a couple weeks ago, a bunch of lingerie. (laughs) I don't know why I did that. I don't even usually wear lingerie, but I just said, I've got to wear something cuter in bed than just this t-shirt and shorts I've been wearing. And just, a there was some internal longing just to do something different. Um, you know, and now they're having a few races again. And most of you guys know I've done, you know, triathlons and things forever. And I couldn't do them last year. Like I signed up for one again, just to have something to do. And so what's that got to do with sex? Um, actually a lot for me because I, and Mary Jo could tell me how she's experienced this with her clients. When I have good sex drive, I have life drive. So I just think it goes together. When I lose my motivation to do, to put my hair together or to wear nice nighty once in a while. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to exercise. So sex drive to me equates with life drive. When I've got great sex drive, I just want to do things. I want to be motivated. So I think it all goes together. I mean, I think maybe I was thinking too much about sex drive as being like a separate thing. It's to me Mm -hmm. now I've, I've got a new idea that it's just part of the desire to be fully alive. Does that resonate with you? Yeah. And I think that's very Italian. You know, the Italians always, I, you know, I'm, I, my family is still in Italy and many of them kind of make silly jokes about the Americans. And they say, Americans think that sex is just screwing, but sex is your life drive. It's the Mm, way you eat food and you enjoy it. And it's, it's doing little things for your partner, you know, wearing a nighty or a short dress sometime or for guys, you know, wearing, wearing something special that your partner's going to like. It's more about taking care, flaunting yourself. And when I talk to men about what they see the most desirous in women, they say women who like themselves, Mm -hmm. women who laugh and love themselves, the guy automatically sees that as sexy. Yeah. They think yeah. they think they're going to get more sex too because she loves her body. She loves she's good in her skin. 
And let's face it, I think the best feeling is when you feel good in your skin. And everybody has a different way of manifesting that. For me, that's I have something on that flatters a part of my body. I feel good inside. Maybe I got some exercise. I feel sexy and I feel like I can escape for a while. Escaping is very important for women, especially. Like they need to feel like they don't have to take care of so many things. They can kind of escape and hopefully into a partner's arms that are, you know, going to take care of them. That's yeah. just, wow. that's so the best. There's, you know, every time you say something, it reminds me of something that I, that all kind of ties together. One of the things that I wrote, and I, I don't have the book in front of me to read it directly, but um, that libido was so affected and these women who I interviewed for my book by this feeling, either it was real or subconscious of being trapped. Like, and when yeah. you said like this need to escape, that is a huge libido killer feeling that you're trapped, whether it's being trapped in a job you don't like or a home you don't like with a man you don't like, a life that you don't want, this feeling that you can't get out when if we know you actually can because you have the key to your own prison. That's another talk. But yes, I, I love that idea that I feel sexier when I feel like I've got an escape. What a beautiful idea. Yeah. I, there's a great book by Esther Pearl and it's called Dating in Captivity. Oh, or yeah. Mating, Mate, mating, yes, mating in Captivity. Yeah. And we love her. And She's it amazing. Is, it is spot on because mm -hmm. I think I think so many, this is why hotels exist, to have great sex. Yeah. And you can even go to a hotel if you're that lucky over, you know, over a weekend. I think that's so wonderful that you can do those little things and enhance your sex life again and, and communicate. You know, you're different when you're out and about and carefree. Yeah, just shifting yourself um, to a different environment. I totally agree with that, that all these um, words and metaphors around being stuck in a rut or trapped or somehow in a box or all these things that we think and say, which are so uh, making us so small and so tight and rigid and opposite of the free, big, huge person that we need to be to be really engaged in a sexual relationship. Sometimes we just need to move to a different place for a night, <laughs> like a hotel or a different bedroom in your house or Anything. Yeah, just do something different. Like I ordered some lingerie, which is really fun. I'm just starting to get it in the mail. I didn't buy it at the store. You know, I ordered it online. And then just putting it on and just noticing how that makes me feel different, like to be mm -hmm. wearing a cute little thing. Uh, it's a, it's remarkable. So, it, you know, you could try different things. I also bought, I have quite a few already, but I, a patient had recommended a different type of vibrator that I had never previously seen. And I'm going to share you guys, um, share it with you guys on the a video sometime when I can show it to you, but bought a few, just a few different things to just get out of the sameness because this pandemic has had so much sameness oh. around it. This mm -hmm. It's kind of like, what's the movie Groundhog Day? Like the same, oh my God, mm -hmm. can we, can it just end now, please? And I think it's starting to now that we're getting vaccinations rolling out more and a little bit more yeah. hope. But there was that really dreadful nine months where we just, I don't know, when is it going to end? I mean, is it ever yeah. going to end? So, yeah, those are great practices, I think, just to shift your body. And maybe it's walking or moving to a different room, different hotel, wear a different piece of clothing. Just do something different. <laughs> yeah. And it creates a whole different energy. So, yeah. um Yeah. So we talked about dating, which is fascinating, and how that shows up differently for men and women. And and some things that um, couples can do if they live in the same house. How how else have you seen this manifest in families? I mean, because I'm seeing women who are, you know, mostly 45 to 55. So many of us still have teenagers at home. You know, so not only we've got the primary intimate partner, but then there's kids and they're often not little kids. These are, you know, teenagers who can be challenging to say the least. Yeah, yeah it's well, a lot. I think it Yes. And, you know, Susan, I think the most important thing for for um, couples in general, no matter what age your kid is, to always prioritize their, their us, like the two of them. And you can do that. Like, you know, I've seen some parents that they include the whole family on their date night and everything because they just feel like, well, you know, we only have a few more years with our teenager. Don't do that. I mean, I, I think 
I think it's great if you have one night a week where you're all together, but I also think that where most communication gets lost in couples is during those teen years. And the reason is because the kids are so overwhelming. Some parents have a real close emotional attachment to the kids and not so much to their partner. And the reason, well, part of the reason is because if it's a daughter, especially, that's a very easy transition to make. But you really do have to make a concerted effort to do a date night and get out of the house. I know during the pandemic, some people have said, well, we're not comfortable going to a restaurant. Then don't go to a restaurant, go somewhere else, go hiking, go outside and do a nighttime picnic, go do wine in the woods somewhere. You need <laughs> to get away, just the two of you. Yeah, that's so, it's so important. And I, I'm going to reiterate what you said, and it actually came up in my book too. So sexually woke women had mm -hmm. discovered this idea, and it's so countercultural to say that we don't put our kids first. And it's scary to even say it, but yeah, if we don't put our partners first, then you know the support of the whole family is going to go away. So I totally agree with that. And it's it doesn't mean we don't love our children. They, then they get much better quality time when we've spent time committing to each other. I went for a um, three hour, you know, I like to do these things. I know most people don't. Bike ride yesterday, it, we went mm -hmm. together and it, it just left the teens and the dogs and everybody. They didn't even really get up till after we got home. But just doing something outdoors and having to be a beautiful day in Houston yesterday, we don't get many of them. And just being outside together, doing something without any children, without any phones, without any dogs. And it wasn't sex. Like we didn't have sex on the bike ride. Maybe I could have, but we didn't. <laughs> Uh, I'll do that next time. But it was just about just about quality time together, which is so sexy. It's so sexy. And then like you're riding behind this guy you love and like, oh, you, you know, you look so sexy. There's just the whole thing can be, um, like you said, just full of uh, tension and excitement. And that's what leads to a better time in the bedroom later mm -hmm. when you've had those times together, when you're not having sex, I think, like the spending that time together to get the tension and that excitement and remembering this is someone you love and that you think is the love, you know, if you're in a committed relationship, someone you really love and want to spend a great deal of time with. Right. And, and that whole taking for grantedness thing, we just have to really be careful about, about that, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's so easy. I think it happens all the time. And I'm sure if I asked my husband, he would tell me he feels that way sometimes. But at least he knows in a sense that we celebrate once a week and we make ourselves a priority. And you'd, you'd think it would be so easy because we don't have kids at home and many of our friends don't have kids at home. But I think a lot of it is the emotional exhaustion of what we've been through and that our work lives have just exponentially for us, it's been 10 times more work and we're exhausted. And I think it's very important that when you're exhausted, you give yourself a break and you take time for yourself too. Because, yeah, yeah. you know, you can't be all things to all people. And I know, especially women, we beat ourselves up. We try to just keep going. And, you know, I think when you're just exhausted, you are not going to have a libido. Oh, no, that's, uh, I just want to go to sleep. I'm tired. That's the last thing I want to do. And I think all of us have felt that way. And like reflecting on what you said about this past year, you know, yes, please give yourself some compassion about how hard that's been for everybody. And we do beat ourselves up because we haven't achieved what we had planned to in, in 2020 or whatever it was we planned to do in 2020 didn't happen right? because this wasn't yeah. what we expected. But, um, you know, just giving ourselves a break around that is such a lovely idea because we're here. We we made it to the other side. And in some way or another, um, you know, that's an incredible expression of resilience of what you can go through. Yes, you you did make it. And I know women who went through menopause last year or got divorced last year or lost a parent or had, you know, you know life goes on, right? All these things still happened. And, and on top of that, the pandemic. And so it can be too much sometimes. I mean, it's, um, you know, when we're having these really uh, dramatic life events happen in the middle of this pandemic soup, I mean, 
goodness me, it, here you are. If you're still with us and listening, just give yourself a hug because that was not easy. And but you are made it, and you're resilient. And coming back to this optimism of of aging and getting older, and hey, we made it through. We're almost we're making it through. And if there's a way to approach that with optimism and, and some compassion, I think that's so much more helpful than the opposite, you know? I love that, Susan. I, I agree 100%. Well, you've worked with people going through all kinds of tragedies this year. I mean, I cannot imagine if I went through menopause and got divorced last year or was in a custody case or all these different things that have happened to me personally. They happened in regular times, and it was almost more than I could manage. But right. goodness me, if it had happened last year, I really don't know. I don't know if right. I could have managed it. It's been traumatic. And I think just understanding that that part of uh, low libido, feeling exhausted, feeling numb inside is due to grief. And there's not, a, there's not one person that's been through what we've all been through that doesn't have some grief work to do. And mm. grief work is simply allowing yourself that space to really feel the feelings you're feeling and to not judge them, but just allow them. It's not glamorous to talk about, but at the same time, it's a healing factor. And, you know, we're, Susan and I are trying to help you heal so that you can own your best self and your sexuality again. Yeah, what a great idea. And yes, grief is an expression of loss. We all lost so much last year. We weren't planning on it. It wasn't what we wanted. But yeah, here we are, and and we can move forward. So Mary Jo, we're almost at the end of your time, and mm -hmm. you've talked about so many amazing things. I don't know if it's possible to generalize this for, for couples in general, um, but do you have just some tidbits of advice just for couples who are struggling with their sexual intimacy, specifically in this past year when things have been more difficult? Um, you touched on a few, but can you can you leave our listeners with just some, some Mary I, Jo advice? Well, I think the most important thing and what I'm really encouraging couples to do is to get curious. You know, when you've been together with someone for a long time, we all have a tendency to say, I know, I know how you feel. I know, I know what you're going to say. But instead of that, this time, get curious. Say, how would you feel about this? And when your partner says something, ask them more questions. Don't make assumptions. Because when you make assumptions, you pin someone into a box. It may be easier for you. It may feel more comfortable because you know this person and it's like somebody you can keep in a box, but it's very unhealthy for bringing out the vibrance in your, in your relationship. So if nothing else, this is the year to explore and start by asking your partner, being curious, ask them why they think their way they do about something or ask them how they feel they got this far or what helped them get through or, if you know your partner is hurting, be their self-soother. And rather than say, well, I'm going to go get you your favorite candy bar, say, how can I help you right now? How can I make you, help you have a better day? Mm, what a beautiful idea. It's very loving. Yeah. So maybe that's a good place to leave it, I think, because it is, you know, I, again, coming back to this optimistic idea, and I don't, I'm not sort of fairies and rainbows about this is easy at all. But I do have a general sense of optimism about aging and about um, what's happening next. Um, and I love that idea of using this this time that was handed to us and we didn't want it and we didn't ask for it, but as a push to make our relationships deeper and better and get out of those ruts. And and sometimes we don't like it, but we sort of got thrown out of the nest. And so there, there is this other side. And I love what you said that we could look at the other side of that coin, that this is an amazing opportunity to start bringing in some practices that can really help the relationship to grow and be better than ever. And, and you know, you could look at it a different way, but we get to choose the way we look at it. So why not look at it the way Mary Jo said, and then it could potentially be better than ever. I, I think it. it makes you feel better, Susan. Yeah. I mean, what's uh, it, it, better it, than the alternative, right? I'm good. I've grabbed that part. I, I've really worked hard 
on soothing this year. Cause you know, I got to thinking and I made a video about this. When, when your child's hurt, you go, oh, it's, it's, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You pick them up, you kiss their knee, you try to soothe them. When your dog gets hurt, you pick it up and say, oh, poor puppy, or, you know, you'll give it a treat. When your partner gets hurt, many times we just, we say, you okay? And we ignore them. And yes, they're an adult, but they're the love of that you share your life with. So how about you say, you know, something soothing or try to soothe them and just say, what's up, honey? You know, I'm sorry. I love you. Uh, what can I do to make you feel better? And then just remind them what an awesome person they are. Because when you become each other's self-soother, you restore that person's confidence and you make them feel so fortunate. It's, it's a gratitude thing. They begin appreciating you, taking you less for granted. And it's telling your partner, I am on your team and I have your back. And when you get hurt, it hurts me and I'm going to do what I can to help raise you up again. Yeah. Well, that is, that is beautiful. And yeah, we could talk for hours because that just goes back to the way I think of sex as a generosity practice. And we'll have to have you come back and we can talk about that. But yeah, what a wonderful way just to look at this as an opportunity to restore and renew and soothe each other and build a better relationship than you ever had before. And if you're not in a relationship or you're in a place of struggle and lost relationship recently or in a new relationship, that doesn't mean you can't apply these things to wherever you are. You, know, you just start where yeah. you are. So Mary Jo, where can we find you? If um, Because Mary Jo actually does actively see clients. I know she's incredibly busy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but before the I best. tell you that people that you'll see new clients, do you still see new clients? Yes, I'm doing everything on Zoom still. And mm-hmm. I probably will through the end of March. I'm going to be gone out of town next week, but I think through the end of March, at least until the majority have gotten their vaccine, I'm going to do it that way because it's easier for me. I can see more clients. And plus, I just like feeling that I'm I'm somehow being, I don't know. I think it's helpful. Well, your website, where can people find you? It's maryjoerapini.com. Well, thank you for sharing. I'm so glad you could meet today. Um, Mary Jo's incredibly busy. I'm so looking forward to being in your office with you. When we can physically be in the same place, that will be great. But for now, yes. this is amazing to to talk to you this way. And I think we need to have part two of this because I got about 100 things that I didn't get to ask you because you're so full of amazing wisdom. Um, but thank you for sharing your time with us. And I will look forward to seeing you again soon, I hope. Sounds great, Susan. Yes, I will definitely see you. All right. Take care. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye.